Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that your presence is always with us. And I just pray today as we're here that you would remind us of that today and again and again and again and again. God, help us to just be present to you this morning, to your word. We love you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, good morning, church. It's so nice to be able to be here with you all. My name is Michael. I'm our pastor of youth and young adults here at Freedoms, um, and I'm really glad to be able to be here speaking to the general congregation for the first time, actually. It's kind of nice. It's nice that you're all so quiet and not shouting random things or throwing something across the room. It just, you know, feels a little nice that way. I usually work with students and so you get a lot of that randomness, but I really do enjoy it. I love it. Um, I realize I've been here since June. That's when my wife and I moved here. Um, but some of you guys might not necessarily know that much about me, so I'll take at least a little bit and give you the first day of school rundown of just some information about me. So again, I'm Michael. I grew up in West Allis, Wisconsin, so down by Milwaukee, but I lived most of my life in Oconomowoc, which is west of here about an hour um, let's just give you the list of favorites. I love being outside, whether it's hiking, biking, just anything that gets me outdoors. I really do enjoy that. Um, one of my favorite activities is photography, so I'll also do that in tandem. I'll go out and take just some nature photos and stuff. People are cool too, but nature doesn't talk back or try to see all the photos before you're done editing them. It just is there. So I really love that. Favorite color is olive green. I really like pasta and Reese's peanut butter cups. Um, at the same time, maybe, I don't know, I don't have that great of a diet, I probably should. Um, but I think my favorite thing about life in general, I'm not just saying this, is um, being married. So I have a wife, Katie. There she is. She's gorgeous, isn't she? I believe so. Amen. Um, she's awesome. We've been married for a little bit over a year now, and it's been great. And sometime in these, this past year or so, we picked up these two cats that are now with us. Um, the bigger one there is Rosie and the very small one is Rue, and when they are not fighting or trying to eat all of our few food, they look like that, and it's, it's pretty cute. Um, I just came home, and then, like, there was just a cat, and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess we have a cat now. What we really wanted, though, like we talked about it, we actually are dog people, and we really want a dog, but we can't have a dog at our apartment, which I guess translates to us now having two cats. I don't know if that's like an equal equivalent, but that's just what happened. Um, but it's been, it's been great, and um, I don't know, I've really enjoyed it. I met Katie at Concordia, which is where I went to college, um, over in Mequon, so I knew the area a little bit as we were getting acclimated out here, but being in port has been really awesome, and we'll talk a little bit more about my journey here later. But as Katie and I were preparing to get married, and as we were talking through an engagement and all of that, um, one thing that we decided on was that divorce was not going to be an option. It just wasn't at all. It almost was like a, a, a swear word, a taboo word in the home, divorce. We were not even going to bring it up no matter how things went down or no matter what happened or what our differences, um, we just simply were not going to go there, which meant that we had to figure out different ways to kind of continue the conversation in the home, to be able to push through and make it work. And so like we've had our fights and our differences and times where we've been upset. But we've always found ways to continue that conversation because we had no alternative. And as we've been in this series, we've been in the book of Lamentations talking about this sacred sorrow, the idea of what a lament even is. It strikes me as this is one way for us to continue the conversation with God. 
Because I think that oftentimes people don't hold to that level of commitment with God. We have situations that come up where then we get angry or we just want to back out. We grow distant from God and we don't have anything to do with him. And we see that things aren't necessarily what they thought what we thought they would be. But if we really are committed to being followers of Jesus, of being more and more like him every day, if we really want to be in that committed relationship with God, um, then we can't give ourselves these little backdoor clauses to back out when things get hard. We need to be willing to say that this, this divorce of us is not an option. We need to be willing to continue the conversation. And continuing the conversation doesn't make everything nice and neat and clean. It leads to a lot of tension and a lot of questions and a lot of wrestling with how do we reconcile these things, but it shows us that there is a way forward, and that's exactly what the book of Lamentations is here to show us. So if you guys would bow your heads with me, let's pray as we approach the scriptures today. God, we just thank you that you're a God that doesn't back out on us, that you're a God who is always here, always faithful, always with us, but sometimes we just don't see it. Help us today as we hear your word to learn what it means to continue this conversation with you, to be true and transparent in every area of our lives with you, knowing that you can handle it and knowing that you still work these things out for our good. It's in Jesus' name that all God's people said, amen. So again, we're at the conclusion of our series, Sacred Sorrow. We've been looking through the book of Lamentations, which for me has been incredibly fascinating because it's not one that I've ever necessarily sat down and decided to study before until we got to this topic. So what Lamentations does is it walks us through an almost poetic look at a really sad topic, which was the destruction of Jew Jerusalem. Um, at the hands of Babylon. And we get to see this through the eyes of the prophet Jeremiah. And there's a lot of intentionality in things that went into how he goes about presenting this information. Something that we've seen is that um, all the chapters have 22 verses. Chapter 3, which is right in the middle, has three times as many, so it has 66 verses. And chapters 1 through 4 all have this really interesting acrostic woven into them where each line starts with one letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and there's 22 letters, so hence the 22 verses. Um, it's just very intentionally set up, again, a beautiful description of what was an incredibly sad event in the history of Jerusalem. And so as we've talked, we've looked at a number of different things. In chapters 1 and 2, we get kind of the background, the information about just how terrible this destruction really was. And we learned about the siege that was laid to Jerusalem and all of the horrible things that were going on. And in chapter 2 specifically, we get to see that there really are consequences sometimes to the things that we do. Jerusalem had sinned, and now they were paying the price as they had been told. And we see that, like, when we are outside of what God wants for us and when we mess up in sin, like, sometimes there are consequences to the things that happen. But then in chapter 3, there's this moment of clarity. It's like the, the high point of the entire book where Jeremiah sits and he recalls God's faithfulness. And it gives him something to hold on to, something to make things at least a little bit easier. And we learned that for us, we can have these things, these anchors to hold us in place when life is just kind of throwing us about. We can recall to mind these instances of God's faithfulness and his goodness and his generosity and his love towards us. It can help us stay grounded 
when things aren't necessarily going so well. And then last week we looked at chapter 4, in which I think we'd expect those good feelings to kind of continue, but instead we get to see Jeremiah continue to work through what is happening to Jerusalem. Um, We get to see that when we encounter these bad circumstances, a lot of times we're made aware of the idols that are in our own life. We see the things that we're holding on to and what's actually going on inside of our hearts. It's revealed when we encounter less than perfect life circumstances. And so this is what's been going on so far in the book of Lamentations. We had this moment in chapter 3 where we come out of the dark and out of the mire and see, oh my gosh, yes, God is faithful and good. And you hear the little trumpets start to go off and the orchestra swells and things are going great. And it's amazing. But then we kind of come back down off of the mountain for these last few chapters. The problems persist. It's not like Jerusalem was suddenly no longer under siege. And so we get to see Jeremiah continue to work through what is happening to his people, what is happening in his land. And I think that rings true for us today that we want chapter 3 to kind of be the end. We want that to be what we're talking about today at the end of the series. But more often than not, it occurs right where it does in the scriptures, which is somewhere in the middle. Because God's character is the same no matter what our own personal circumstances are. He's present to us and at work in all of our everyday realities. And so while we want God to intervene again with just the big orchestra and the big booming voice and make everything right, more often than not we have these moments of clarity right in the middle of all the mire and the muck and the mess that's going on. And that's what happens to Jeremiah. He has a breakthrough moment. But he's still caught up in all of the things and all of the mess that's going on. And we're watching him try to process through, how does this all make sense? How do I live this out in my real, everyday life? And so today we're going to look at Lamentations chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you can start to turn there and get ready. Chapter 5 is different from the first four chapters in quite a few ways. The tone, just the overall feel of the chapter is one thing. But it breaks from the acrostic Hebrew structure that the first four chapters have. Um, it, it doesn't start with each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It just, it is what it is. It still has 22 verses. But this break just kind of shows that, like, in a broken world, our problems don't always get fixed. And things don't always resolve nicely and neatly. But things can still be different. Things don't necessarily go back to the way they were before. And so chapter 5 continues this look at Jeremiah processing what's happening to Jerusalem. So clearly, um, the information, the excitement that he had in chapter 3 wasn't enough to carry him through and settle the questions and concerns and emotions that he still has. But to his credit, what Jeremiah does and what we're going to see is that he continues to bring these things before God Instead of just allowing them to sit and fester deep down inside, he holds them out. He continues this conversation. And so as we read today, I think we're going to notice three really important things about the process of lamenting. Because we're talking about it and it seems kind of abstract, but there are some concrete things that go along with lamenting that will really help us as we're striving to work through some of the mess and some of the struggle in our own lives. And as we approach God we can take these tools and use them to help us dig deeper and continue the conversation. So the first one that we're going to find is that lament is grounded in reality. Our lament is grounded in reality. And that reality has a couple of parts to it. 
The first one is the fact that there's facts. There's an objective reality of things that are occurring that we can point to and say, this is the situation. Along with that, we also have the reality of our emotional and internal response to the situation that's going on. Those are both equally real and equally valid, and we're going to see both of those at play here. So if you'll turn with me um, to Lamentations chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 1, and we're going to go through right now. So it says this, Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. And then Jeremiah goes on to list out the reality of the situation that they're in. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans. Our mothers are like widows. We have to pay for the water that we drink. The wood that we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. And he continues on like this. He's talking about the actual situation that's going on in Jerusalem. They're no longer self-sufficient they can't rely on themselves for anything, not even like their normal natural resources. They got to pay for their own water that they just have. They have to pay for their wood. They, their men and women are just being beaten down and broken, and they are not the power that they once were. That's physically what's actually going on. It's the reality of their situation. But there's also an emotional reality that they're experiencing as well. Um, in verse 15, it says this, the joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. So there's this grieving that's going on. There's not just the physical that they're being laid waste, they're not self-sufficient, but they have no more joy. They're in mourning over what it was that they used to be, and that's as equally important as what's actually going on. Because if all we focus on are the facts of our situation, then we're ignoring our own emotional realities, and it's often in that place that we're shaping how we interact with God in these seasons that are maybe not so, not so good. We see that um, we, we have these emotional responses that cannot be ignored. But on the other side of that, if all we're looking at is how we are feeling emotionally, then we're also missing out on the objective facts of the situation, which may or may not point to um, us having something to own in what's going on. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. But to kind of give you guys an example of what this looks like in reality, I'm going to talk a little bit just about myself for a moment. Is that okay? Just a little bit. You guys don't know me that well. i got to tell you a lot up here. Um, so, like I said, I moved here in June. Katie and I moved here in June, and we came to this church, and I know that I'm supposed to be here, like I really do believe God has led us here to be with you all, and that part is awesome and good. But to be honest, like the way that I went about getting here, like the circumstances that led us here, were not as much fun. To make a long story kind of short, if I can, um, we experienced some turmoil at our previous church. I worked at a church in Oconomowoc. I was a youth pastor there for four years. And towards the end of my time there, there was a lot of turmoil involving just a former lead pastor that had done some things that were um, just split the church, and he took some people with him, and our finances as a church then also started to deteriorate. And as we were trying to figure out how to move into a new season of health, um, they realized that they couldn't keep everybody that was going along with them at that point. And so I and Katie um, got laid off and let go from that position there because they just couldn't afford it financially. 
And at that same time, we had also found out like some different news. There were some other paths that maybe we were going to go that got shut down. And so we got thrust into this season of just not knowing at all where we were going to go or what we were going to do or where we would even end up. It was crazy. And that was all in like February and March. So this has been in a very short period of time that all of this has occurred. And it was a lot. And so for me, um, to own the reality of the situation, um, I not only had to say, A, what was going on at the church wasn't healthy and it was kind of sad and I needed to lay that out, but also in my own heart, like I was pretty upset with God. I was frustrated and I was confused and I didn't understand what was going on, but that was really important for me to be able to own because even though we think that those things, like maybe I shouldn't be feeling that way or like I know God's there for me, but that doesn't change what was going on. And so for me to just lay out honestly, God, like, I know that you're there, but I am really upset right now. I don't get why you're taking me out of this situation. I don't get why I have to leave. What's going on? That really allowed for the ball to start rolling and for me to continue the conversation with God and to face him and to be moving towards him instead of away from him in what was a pretty difficult season of life. And so that's the reality that I was facing and that's just one part of what it looks like to lament, um, naming what's actually real, both physically and also emotionally. But that can't be all that it is, because if that is all that it is, then honestly all we're doing is venting. And while venting has its time and place, if we really want to be moving closer to God and closer in relationship with him, then it can't stop there. Which is why the second part of lament, the other thing that we can learn, is that lament requires repentance. Lamenting requires our repentance. And this also comes um, in a couple of different ways. So there's always something that we need to own when we're in a process of lamenting, when we're in a process of going through um, and working out with God what the heck is going on. And one way that we end up needing to repent is that our bad choices are the thing that led to our bad circumstance. So if you'll turn with me to Lamentations, we're going to go to, I believe it's just verse 16. It says this, The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. So it's been alluded to up until this point, especially in like chapters 2, like that people got that they brought this on themselves. But here we see a pretty clear and almost calm declaration of, yes, we get it. We are not who we once were. We, we messed up. We sinned, and we're, we're going to own it. There's times where, again, like our bad choices lead to our bad circumstances. So, for example, if I'm going to Costco and spending hundreds of dollars week after week and eventually find myself in a financial hole, I can't just go and pray, God, please help me to deal with this financial difficulty that I had nothing to do with. That's not how that works. Maybe it's, God, please help me to have a little self-control to not grab every 30-pack of Doritos that I see and um, have some control over the finances that are going on in our home. i got to own that, hey, um, I had a part to play in this. But on the other side of that, sometimes there are things that just happen that are outside of our own control. We didn't do anything to cause this, but that bad circumstance creates within us um, an unhealthy response. And so for this, I'm going to go back to my story. Like, I didn't do anything that got myself fired. Like, they told me I did a pretty good job, and I believed them, and they haven't said anything since, so I'll continue to believe them. Like, we did a good, I, I, I was doing okay. I did good, but I still got let go. But in that, 
Like, I noticed there was a lot of really unhealthy things that were going on inside of my heart as a result. Like I said, I was, I was angry. I was bitter. As I was looking for new jobs, I kind of had this idol of what I thought church should be and what I thought my job should be that I was holding on to as I was looking around at different churches and judging them for the way that they did things because it wasn't the way that I wanted to do things. There was a lot of that that came up. And as I lament and as I process, I've got to be able to own that. I've got to be able to say, God, like, I'm sorry. I know that I was holding up these things in my heart and they were, they were welling up, and I need to be able to admit that. And so we lay out what's real, and we lay out how we're really feeling, and we also try to recognize any part that we are playing in what's going on, whether, whether we're the cause of what is happening or whether the way we're responding is not necessarily in the most godly way that isn't drawing us closer to Jesus. And with that, as we learn to lean into that process and lean into being able to be real and authentic with God, with where we're at, then we just get to simply continue the conversation. Because the last thing that we find is that this response of lament, it continues, it moves forward our relationship with God. It keeps it moving forward. We're not always going to figure everything out. But having this open dialogue with God gives us something to hold on to. Turn with me, if you will, um, to these last few verses in Lamentations chapter 5. Let's start in 19. This is Jeremiah, and he says, But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. So we see here, Jeremiah is asking God for restoration, even when he doesn't really know what that will look like. He doesn't even know if God is like still upset with them, but all he knows is that he wants things to be as they were before. He wants to be with God as he once was. He wants Jerusalem to grow closer to God again. And he just holds that out in front of God. He's like, I don't know if you're still upset with me. I don't even know where we stand, but all I want to know is that how can I grow closer to you in this moment? So what we see in chapter 5 and in the entire book of Lamentations that on the one hand, things don't always work out in life. In fact, for the most part, there's a lot of stuff that's pretty unresolved or that continues or that carries on. But continuing to be with God allows us to have an overall more healthy relationship with him. It doesn't make things better in the sense that it starts to tie up all the loose ends in our life and make all of the bad things go away. But it does make them better in that now we have a more holistic view of the way that God acts and interacts with our lives. He's a God that isn't just there um, fixing things and then kind of pulling back, but he's a God that is deeply intentional about walking alongside us and drawing us closer to him day after day, whether things are good or whether things are bad, whether we are doing great or whether we have some things that we've got to own up to. That's who our God is, and as long as we're willing to be honest with him and as long as we're willing to continue that conversation, then it's a lot more fruitful than just holding things deep inside. And so for me, as I've processed kind of what's happened and what has led me um, to be before you today, like I was able to be real about where I was at, and I was able to own my own unhealthy response to a really crazy season of life, 
but it strengthened my relationship with him. There are a lot of things that I'm still really unsure of. To be honest, like there's a lot of life that is really unsure. But I know that he was patient with me through this season and that he'll continue to be with me even as we move towards the next phase of life. And for right now, that means being able to be here with you guys. And so I can do that with confidence, knowing that I can approach God with everything because he, he, he loved me even when I was at my most unsure and most crazy and most willing to lash out, and he's going to love me through whatever is happening next. The more that I can lament and be honest, the more that I'm able to lean in to the arms of Jesus. So let me just switch gears for a little moment with a show of hands. How many of you enjoy a good classic Hallmark movie? You know the one. You know the one where like you, you know everything that is about to happen, but you watch it anyways? You know the one where you still cry at the end, even though you called it like the moment the credits rolled open? But you, you, know, you, you know the movie. Hold up, I bet I could write one right now that I'm sure you all have seen. Big city girl moves back to her small hometown and meets some unnervingly attractive small town guy who tries to make her stay because of some weird Christmas-related crisis, but she's not sure she should stay and fix the crisis or go back and take the promotion in whatever big town she's from, but decides to stay anyways, or a road gets blocked or something like that, and it all works out with a really nice big Christmas kiss, and at least half of them, there's some sort of dog involved, and we're not sure why, but he's there too. Right? We like that kind of stuff. It's comforting to us. It all works out in the end, and it all kind of comes together, and everything is great. Let me tell you, the Book of Lamentations would make a terrible Hallmark movie. There's no resolution. Like, even at the end of this, like, Jerusalem is still in a really destitute place. Jeremiah doesn't even know if God is talking to him anymore. Like, there's lots of things that are left unsaid. And life is a lot more like the Book of Lamentations than it is a Hallmark movie. There's ups and downs. There's lots of things that we just, we don't see the end. We don't know how this is going to work out. But what we can know is that we have a God that is ever for us, ever working towards us, ever calling us and drawing us deeper and deeper into relationship with him. And as we keep our face turned towards God in times of struggle, it might not make the struggle better, but again, God's character is not defined by our circumstances. And we can know that God is good even if the things around us are not. So like I said at the beginning, Katie and I, like, divorce is, is not allowed. We're going to be together until the end. We don't allow, like, difference or circumstance um, to give us an out. We work together, and we're working together as one. And it doesn't mean that everything is happy. Like, I've learned in a very short time, there are a lot of wrong ways to do the dishes. <laughs> and she's right. There are a lot of wrong ways to do the dishes. I've learned that. But it doesn't mean that, like, we aren't together, Right? It doesn't mean that we aren't working towards our collective good as a husband and wife, and it doesn't mean that we aren't working towards becoming the people that God would want us to be. And it needs to be the same way with God. We can't give ourselves an out. If you're here this morning and maybe you're not quite on board, that's okay, but once we make this decision, yes, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life, I want you to have this control, we've got to go for it. Because we've got a God who's going to go for it. He's the one that's always faithful, like we just sang. He's always going to be there. His arms open wide, willing to talk us through and walk us through and grieve with us and cry with us and help us process what's going on. But we've got to meet him there. 
We've got to be willing to lay it all out on the altar. We've got to be able to say, this is what's going on. This is what's happening in my heart. I know that I'm not doing this perfectly. I don't get what's going on, but please just help me. Be with me. And I'll say, of course. That's what I've been here for the whole time. That's what counts. Continuing the conversation with God. Through the good and through the bad. He's the same God um, on those mountaintop experience as he is the God in the valley. He's a God who's going to be there when you are at your absolute best. And he's the same God that's going to be there when you are just at your worst. He's the same. And his love for us and his attitude towards us and his disposition towards us is going to be the same no matter what. And so this coming week, as we're heading towards just the busyness and the holidays and the end of the year, Sure, we can all think, and there might be some stuff that you're going through right now that's kind of remained unprocessed. There's some things that maybe you haven't given the time to because you didn't know how to or you didn't really want to think about it. But this week, um, I want you and I and all of us to take a little time and, and form, form your own lament from something that maybe you haven't been so honest with God about. Um, Form your own lament for maybe something that's going on that you haven't given the time or day or energy to really sit and think through and process through. Maybe you're a writer. Writing this down might help. Maybe you just want to work it into your prayer time and talk it out with God. But just tell him. Tell him what's actually going on. Acknowledge something real and concrete because God meets us in our own reality, and so we want to be real about our own reality. Acknowledge a real situation. And with that, your real emotions Not what you think you should be feeling, not what you think is the right answer, but where you're actually at. Own and repent of anything that you need to repent of, whatever it may be, whether you kind of helped cause the situation that's going on or if you've just had some unhealthy things going on inside as a result. And then just talk to God. Ask him to draw you even closer to himself than you were before. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him to show you what to do. Let him know that you're not sure of what's happening, but you're on board anyways because you know that he is. Because like I said, God meets us in our reality, where we're actually at. And when we lament, kind of opens that door for things to really become real. And that's where we find God. Because God is the same God on a Tuesday morning or like a Thursday night. The same God that's here on a Sunday or in a small group. He's the same everywhere. And he's with us everywhere. And so as we go about our normal days and our normal lives, like he wants to meet us in those spaces and transform us and move us forward and make us more like him. And so as we go out from this place, let's just all take a little time, a little intentionality to continue the conversation with God. Just see what happens. Why don't you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we just thank you that you do not withdraw yourselves from us. We thank you that you're a God who is ever-present, a help to us, a strong foundation, a God who is always there and who always was and who always will be. God, I just pray for all of us here as we move forward from this place that we would allow ourselves to be a little bit more vulnerable and a little bit more real with you about where we're really at. We know you can handle it. We know you can take it. And I pray that you would just meet each and every one of us in that space with so much love and grace and mercy that we can't even believe why we would hold back in the first place. 
I just pray for everybody here for whatever it is that they're going through, whatever it is that they're dealing with that they don't really want to deal with, that you would gently bring those things to light. And that you would help us to know that even though things might not necessarily get better, you are still good. And that that's more than enough. God, we love you and we thank you for all that you have done and for everything that you are. And it's in your son Jesus' name that all God's people said, Amen.